some good things today. Let's uh, go over to Exodus chapter 15. And uh, this is where we'll begin. We will continue with this that we've uh, been looking at on the covenant of healing. And uh, there's so much here. <coughs> and uh, we've talked about this uh, quite a lot in the past, but it's important to go back over it. Uh, and those things that you always believe what God said and then uh, the three main things that the Lord's been talking to us about is, number one, always believe what God said about himself. You always believe what God said about him. Uh, you know, ever how you were raised, uh, whatever denomination, whatever uh, bent of belief, and uh, what I mean by that, you could have been raised Baptist or Pentecostal or Catholic or whatever. You were raised with a belief system about God. And it was a belief system that was, that was uh, uh, formed by the theological bent of whatever place, whatever denomination, whatever group that you were a part of. And uh, not saying that one group's better or worse, but the, the point is, is what you believe about God will color what you believe God will do. It's what you believe about him. If you believe wrong about God, you'll expect wrong from God. If there's things that you don't believe about him that he says concerning himself, then there are things that uh, you can't expect him to do, not because he can't and not because he doesn't want to, but because you don't believe he will. And God is never unwilling or unable. He's just uninvited. And when God's invited, he will do what he said. And, uh, you know, that, 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 that's so important. You know, I, uh, even in our Word of Faith circles, you'll run up on some people sometimes, and uh, you'll say, well, how you doing? Doing great. Can't lose. Why? Why can't you? I've done that to people before. Why? Uh, 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 uh. They have no idea why. They have no idea why they can't lose. It's just something that we're told. And it's true. It is true. But the point is, is it's always believe what God said about himself. Hilton Sutton always made the statement. He said, every believer should have a working knowledge of the word of God for themselves. You should know what the word of God says. Uh, secondly, of course, it goes right along with that. Believe what God said about his word. Uh, well, he said, uh, one of the main things that he said in John 17, verse 17, was that the word was truth. The word was truth. The definition of truth is to be without a lie. So when you, when you, when you take that to heart, then the word of God is without lie. Titus 1, 2 says, uh, uh, God who cannot lie. And the definition of that phrase, cannot lie, is to be uh, void of lying void of of lie it, god is void god is truth and so therefore everything that he says is truth when god says something it's truth it doesn't become truth it is truth because god said it and i've always got i've got to believe that i've got to believe what god said and that's why uh, uh paul told the church at rome he said uh, you should allow God to be true and every man a liar because God is true. No one in here would maybe purposefully lie, but you can. You can lie. God cannot. Now, there are people that will quote that, but they don't believe that. They know it's in the Bible, but they don't believe it. And people will say, well, how do you know that? Because they'll make statements like this. Well, I did that and it didn't work. Well, you just said God lied. Now, now think about that. If you did what God said and it didn't work, then who lied? Who'd you do? What did you do? You did what God said. So if God said this, if God said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, 
and you believed on the Lord Jesus and you didn't get saved, who lied? God lied. Well, that's never happened. And it will never happen because God can't lie. So you have a problem in, in a lot of the church world today is we don't want people to feel bad because they're not getting results. So we, we, we sugarcoat things and kind of water it down, you know, that, well, you know, it doesn't mean you didn't have faith. That isn't why you didn't receive. And it doesn't mean you're not struggling because it's you. Well, then who is it? I mean, if God is perfect and his word is perfect, if God cannot lie and his word is truth, then the common denominator there, the, on, the, only, the only fail, the only person that can uh, uh, miss it is me. And that's not harsh. That's not, I have to look at it that way. When, when things are not moving in my personal life, I go to God with his word and say, now, I've done what you told me to do, and there's an issue here because it's not working. Now, you show me where I missed it, right? Because I missed it. Have you ever seen people shooting at a range, and they'll keep missing the target and blame the gun? Right? Hallelujah. Right? Or, or, or they'll turn in front of somebody, you know, in, a, in an intersection and get mad at the person that ran into them. Well, you know, you shouldn't have turned or whatever the case may be. But you got to believe what God said about his word. What did God say about his word? And that's what I believe. Then, then thirdly, believe what God said about what he would do. What did he say he would do? God, God's response is determined by your response. Your response determines God's response. Especially in a covenant relationship. Because there are things, God is not only bound to what he will do, he is bound to what he will not do. That's, that's vital. Because, because very often people are very quick, to, well, God promised this. He did. But there are things that God said he will not do. And I've got, I've got to know those things. Now, here in Exodus 15, verse 23, we've been starting here for a number of weeks. And, of course, this is uh, after the children of Israel come out of Egypt and they're at the waters of Marah. And uh, they were complaining, as was their custom. <laughs> saying, what shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And he made for them a statute and an ordinance. Covenant language, a statute and an ordinance. A binding ordinance. And there he proved them. And he said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. Now notice, that's over half of the verse. Because very often, especially on confession lists and things of that nature, the last part of this verse is put. I'll, you know, I, I won't put any of these sicknesses and diseases on you. Well, he won't. But notice the first part. If you will diligently hearken, the word hearken is to listen with the intent to do. Listen with the intention to do. All right? If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do all and, and do that which is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. So the beginning there tells me my part of this covenant is faith and obedience. All right? I, I've, I've, got to have, I've got to have faith and be obedient. And then he said, notice, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I've brought upon the Egyptians, 
Now, uh, Dr. Robert Young, who wrote Young's Analytical Concordance of the Bible and was the, uh, uh, wrote, uh, translated uh, uh, Young's literal translation, he points out that in the Hebrew, there uh, is no uh, permissive sense. All right? It's translated in the causative sense. So he says the diseases I have brought upon the Egyptians. Well, you know, people, God is not bringing sickness on someone. But here's the thing. Everything that was brought upon Egypt, God did bring it on them. And he brought it on them because of their disobedience. Isn't that right? Every time Pharaoh would say, okay, I repent, I'll let them go, what would happen? The boils would leave, the frogs would leave, the lice would leave, the flies would leave. But then he'd say, nah, change my mind. Right? Now notice, Egypt is always a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan, always, throughout the Scripture, always. And notice these sicknesses, these diseases came upon the world. Now, here's the thing to understand. The world is not what we consider this blue marble that we live on. The world are the ungodly in the world. Now, here's the, here's the issue. They have no hope of ever being healed because they don't serve the healer. I have hope of being healed because I serve the healer. And he, he makes a distinction here. I've brought these diseases upon non-covenant people, upon people that have no covenant, right? And he, notice he says, none of them will come on you. Why? For I am the Lord that heals you. That's, that's, that's the, the way that would be phrased. I'm the Lord that heals you. It's not just, for I'm the Lord that heals you. I'm the Lord that heals you. There's a, there's a distinction being made. They have sickness on them, but it won't come on you because I'm the Lord that heals you. In other words, there was a reason that all that sickness and disease came on Egypt, but if you will do what they wouldn't do, none of them will come on you because I'm the Lord that heals you. So immediately he sets himself in this position of being my healer. And he also outlines my responsibility to have faith and obedience. Is that right? To have faith and obedience. Just think about this. When you first got saved, remember how great your life became just because you stopped sinning. Anybody remember how much, remember how much more uh, peace you had and joy you had? Well, you, you just weren't sinning. You, did, you didn't know anything about healing or prosperity, and you really didn't care. You just you knew you weren't going to hell. You were just, glory to God, I'm saved. If I die tomorrow, and you were thinking, aren't I glad I didn't die yesterday? But right, because I wasn't ready. Amen. Isn't that great? That, that's all the world has to look forward to. Paul said, if we only have hope in this world, we're of all people most miserable. But we serve the healer. We're obedient to what he says. See, this is a faith builder. This is a, a, a builder of your faith for your healing. Because you can take this to the Lord. And you can say, Father, I'm obedient to what you said. I've listened to what you've told me. I diligently listen to what you say. And you said you're the Lord that heals me. Amen. So I am the Lord. I am blank check. Uh, I am what you need me to be. Who shall I say sent? Who shall I say sent me? Tell them that the I am that I am sent me. I am all you need. I am fill in the blank. And here he says, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am Jehovah the Lord. And I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord your healer. I'm the Lord, your physician. I'm the Lord, your surgeon. All right. So important because it's covenant language. This is covenant language. This is a statute and an ordinance. And he said it was forever. 
anything God is, He's eternally that. He cannot be something else. Hallelujah. That's, that's why when somebody says God is good, just agree. Just agree. Because that's all He is. He's only good. Amen. He's only good. Yeah, but He allows bad things. Why does He allow bad things? Because people will not hearken diligently to what He said and do what He said. Amen. But He always he brings us out of bad things. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm not going to tell you nothing bad will ever happen. I've had bad things happen, but my good God always turned it for me. Always turned it for me. Isn't that good news? That's good news. See, this is a forever settled fact. It's forever settled. God is eternally existent as my healer. He will never not be that. Now, in Exodus uh, 23. Thank you, Jesus. I've preached myself happy. It don't take much. <laughs> Glory to God. You know, when, when, when they've looked at you and said, there's nothing we can do, and God heals you, it changes everything. Amen. Hallelujah. I had the doctor look at me and go, nothing I can do to help you. But God did. Because he's my healer. The doctor's not my healer. The, the, the doctor can help me. The doctor can, can uh, 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 support me. The doctor can, can help me get, get some things to help me. But he can't heal me. Only God can heal me. And it's good to know that right now he's healing you. Oh, glory. Exodus 23 and verse 25. Oh, hallelujah. And you shall serve the Lord your God. Now, there it is again, faith and obedience. You will serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water. And then he says, and I will take sickness from your midst. I will take it. So there again, what sickness may be present, our healer, our physician, our surgeon will take it. He said he would take it. And he said in verse 26, the last part of the verse, the number of your days I will fulfill. You know, don't plan for short life when God promised you long life. So he said, the number of your days I will fulfill. Now, I don't have time to get into that, but that'll change the way you talk, and that'll change the way you say things. Hallelujah. You know, ever how, how, ever, how many years you may have under your belt, so to speak, in this room, don't ever call yourself old. Right? Well, you know, but that, that's just, no, 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 that's, be, 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 because the number of my days I'm going to fulfill. Because here's how people say old. Here's usually when they say it. They get up and something cracks. Crack, oh, oh, I'm old. Right? Well, I could do that before I got old. So I'm, I'm limit, right? I'm limiting myself. I'm saying I can't do it because I'm old. Amen. Well, Pastor, aren't you getting old? I am increasing in years, but I'm not old. Amen. This is important because the number of your days he will fulfill. The psalmist said, teach us to number our days so I'll know what time I have left. I don't want to shorten them with my mouth. Do you know how many people probably died before their time because they ran around saying, well, 70 and if by strength, 80. I mean, that's all we're promised. You were never promised that. God never promised you 70 years and if by strength, 80. Run over there with me real quick. In Psalm 90. Is this okay? Because I, 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 I want you to see this. 
And uh, under Psalm 90, now I don't know what kind of Bible you have, uh, 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 meaning who published it, but in most Bibles, under Psalm 90, it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. A prayer of Moses. So it's, it's one of the prayers of Moses, one of his psalms. And notice, now, verse 8, well, we could read more than that, but verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. All of our days are passed away in your wrath. Now, who would he be talking about? That's not us. That would be the people of Israel. Who was he leading? The people of Israel. And he says, all of our days are passed away in your wrath. Well, wouldn't that be right? If, if you read through uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, I mean, there were, there, were, there were occasions, hundreds of thousands of them died at once under the judgment of God, right? We spend our years as a tale that is told or a meditation. The days, notice, of our years. Whose years? The people he's talking about. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, seventy years, and if by reason of strength, eighty. They are fourscore years. Yet is there, is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it's soon cut off, and we fly away. Then verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. So he's saying this group of people that are unbelieving. Now remember, when they came out of Egypt, people were living a lot longer than that. Disobedience was shortening their life. You understand? I, I, I know that they live longer than this because Moses lived longer than that. If this was the will of God, why did Moses live to be over 100? How old was he when he marched up the mountain? 120. And his eyesight was not impaired and his natural force was not abated. You know, people talk about Moses having a, or Abraham having a child when he was 100. That word natural forces, it literally means that Moses could have fathered a child at 120. A strong man, healthy, right? Well, here's the point. But he's saying because of our disobedience, our years are being shortened. Well, Deuteronomy 7 says you have a covenant that if you'll do what God said, the number of your days he'll fulfill. Amen. And, and, and you do, I believe you do a disservice when you try to put a number on it. People will say, well, you know, I'm going to live to be 120 years. Well, if that's what you want, go for it. But there's not any prescribed verse in the Bible that says that's how long you're supposed to live. God told Noah, he said, the days of man will be 120 years. But he was talking about the generation before the flood. Because God was talking to Noah before the flood came on the earth. So it could have been 120 years till the flood comes, or they're only going to live 120 more years. I don't know. Now, if you want to believe for that, you can. Well, you know, the, the Lord told Brother Copeland to believe for it, but why did he tell Brother Copeland to believe for it? Because he told Brother Copeland, for every age group, there's an anointing. He said there's an anointing from 20 to 30. There's an anointing from 30 to 40. There's an anointing from 50 to 60. There's an anointing from 60 to 70. And he said, and there's an anointing from 70 on, and most people never tap into it. And he said, I need you to believe me to live that long to tap into that anointing. I'm not so much trying to change your theology as I'm, I'm saying he said here in, Deuteron in, in Exodus, he said, the number of your days, I'll fulfill them. Amen. Don't shorten them by being disobedient with your mouth. 
Because he said he would take sickness away from you. Why? So the number of your days, how much longer would you live on this earth if sickness never again attacked your body? Right? We're, we're all going to die because at some point this body's going to outlive its usefulness. But the point that I'm making is that notice what sickness may be present, our healer will take it. Hallelujah. Now, let's look at Deuteronomy 7. Oh, glory to God. Hmm. Deuteronomy 7, and we'll start here in verse 8. But because the Lord loved you, and he would keep the oath that he swore to your fathers, the Lord hath brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore. Now notice he's saying, because of what God did for you. And notice that twice he brings in the covenant. The Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath that he swore to your fathers. Know therefore, because of what God did for you, know that the Lord your God, He is God. Notice the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with everybody. No, with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. So God is the faithful God. Faithful to what? Faithful to what He has said. In, in whatever area that you're believing God, whether it's healing, whatever it is, my job is to be faithful to Him. My job is to be faithful to Him because He's faithful to me. The, the Scripture says that God cannot deny Himself. He's faithful. He cannot deny Himself. So He keeps mercy, keeps covenant and mercy with them that love Him. And keep his commandments unto a thousand generations. A, a generation at minimum is 40 years. So that's 40,000 years with everybody in here. So everyone in here has a covenant of 40,000 years at minimum. Well, you're not going to live on this earth for 40,000 years. That's why it's called the everlasting covenant. And it rolls over to my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren. Amen. But notice, he keeps covenant and mercy. Notice verse 15. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you know, upon you but will lay them on them that hate you so notice he t he says that he keeps covenant and mercy he's faithful well now think about that when you read that he's faithful what's he faithful to what he said what did he say in exodus 15 he said i'm the lord that heals you then he said in exodus 23 that he would bless our bread and water and take sickness from our midst and now he says it again in verse 13, he says that he will take sickness. Verse 15, I will take away from you all sickness. Now see, God's faithful to that. God's faithful to that. He's the faithful God that keeps covenant and mercy. See, it calls him faithful and then it says what he's faithful to, his covenant and his mercy. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you glad we're recipients of his mercy? Oh, hallelujah. I used to deal with guys all the time and they'd say, I just want, I, I want, uh, uh, you know, I want justice. I want justice. And I'd tell them, no, you want mercy. You want mercy. You don't want justice. You want mercy. Amen. 
So he keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. This promise is to those who love him and keep his commandments. So my part, again, is faith and obedience. This word mercy, it means goodness or kindness. It means favor and pity, goodness and kindness and favor and pity. Now, by virtue of these definitions of the word mercy, if mercy were, were shown to you, it'd be a benefit. Goodness, kindness, favor, pity. You know, sometimes we that, that word pity is not used properly, you know, in, in the day and age that we live in. Uh, uh, to take pity on someone, especially at this time, was a very good thing. Because it meant you found someone that couldn't help themselves. And you had pity on them and delivered them. It's, it's, it's the active term. It's the active definition of mercy. Compassion and pity are related. And they're the active definitions of mercy. Mercy is the love of God in action. And uh, in these verses, we see that one component of the mercy of God in action is that he'll take away all sickness. All sickness. He'll take away all sickness. It's, it's important that you talk about what he'll take away. You, you understand? The fact that he'll take something away and not just talk about what he said he would take away. Does that make sense? God said he would take it away. Fill in the blank. All sickness. Fill in the blank. But what a lot of, what a lot of individuals do is talk about what he said he would take away. Instead of the fact that he would take it away. Well, my cancer, my heart trouble, my back problem, my, my back isn't no good. My, my, my joints aren't any good anymore. I mean, I've just, my knees are shot. Well, but he said he would take that away. Do you see what I mean now? They're talking about what he said he would take away instead of what he said he would take away. Instead of the fact that he said he would take it away. It's just as easy to say you're healed as it is to say you're sick. It's just as easy to say your eyes are good as it is to say they're failing. It's just as easy to say I hear sharply and accurately as it is to say I can't hear nothing anymore. Right? Because he said he would take that away. Anything that you see Jesus healing is something God said he would take away. And so you have to interpret the book from Genesis to Revelation in the light of the covenant that God has brought us into to understand that this is, this is a surety. This is, if I could say it this way, when, when we look at this and we say that's a promise, there's the idea of promise in our mindsets that it may or may not happen. It's a promise, but it may or may not occur for me. But when God makes a promise, he swears by himself. That's what he told Abraham in Genesis 22. He said, because I saw your faith and obedience, he said, I have sworn by myself that this is what I'll do. If, 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 if I could say it this way, the Hebrew there in Genesis 22 is God said, I've sevened myself. I have sworn seven times that I'll do this for you. Well, everything that God said, this is a promise to covenant people. Now, think about this. When you have a covenant mindset, a covenant mindset 
is a requirement for strong faith. When you have a covenant mindset, what comes up is this. If this doesn't happen, I can take my covenant partner to task. Because he said, right here, oh, I'd never talk like that to God. Then you don't believe you have a covenant. It's just that plain. Of course, you never go to your covenant partner who created everything and act belligerently, but I can go to my covenant partner and say, we have a covenant right here where you said you would take away all sickness. And so I'm thanking you for that. If it's, if it's there, I can go and say, I have a covenant promise that says you'll take it away from me. You said you take all sickness from me. So it's not a promise in the sense of there's a way out. There's no way out. God, God has no way out of what he said. He has bound himself to what he said. Men break covenant, not God. God doesn't break covenant. God doesn't look for a way out. God God. God made the decision that he's going to tell you what you could ask him for. And ever what it is, he is bound to do it by his word. Amen. I've had people say, do you believe God would do that for me? That's not the point. Do you believe God would do it for you? What I believe about God is born from the years of looking at this as a covenant book. That's sealed with blood on both ends. God left himself no wiggle room. None. There's not one verse that says, I will do this, except. No, he, he outlines what we need to do, and then he says what he will do. God's not trying to get out of this. He did this because he loves us. Oh, Glory. So part of our covenant promise that God made to his people is that he'll forever be merciful. That's what Deuteronomy 7 said. The faithful God that keeps covenant and mercy to a thousand generations. Look over here in John chapter 5. Almost every promise in the Bible can be traced back to the Abrahamic covenant. Almost every action that Jesus took where healing is concerned can be traced back to that. John chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which in the Hebrew tongue is called Beth Ezda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt. so impotent are people without strength, people that have no strength, they're not strong. That can be a paralyzed person, uh, that can be someone with a weakness in their body, whatever it may be. And then not only those folks, but blind people, halt people, all right, people on crutches, people that can't walk, people that whatever, uh, waiting, withered, withered folks, waiting for the moving of the water. Well, why are they waiting on that? For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water or agitated the water. And whoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. Now, pay close attention to these words, whoever and whatever. Whoever and whatever will come back there. And a certain man was there that had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying, knew he'd been there in a long, in, in, in a long time in that case. Now people said, see, Jesus knew everything. There's not one reference right here that says Jesus knew by the Spirit how long that man had been there. It says, and when he knew. Evidently, he talked to the man. And the man told him, I've been here 38 years. I bring things out like that because there are people that read verses like this 
And they think, well, brother, that was Jesus. Jesus could do that and not me. But Jesus said it was the Father in him doing the works, right, healing people. So if people get healed today through a man or a woman of God, how'd they get healed? It was God in them doing the work. If you don't see the same God in you that was in Jesus, these things don't happen. This didn't happen because of a Jesus trick. Jesus was a man anointed by God to heal the sick. Not taken away from his deity or his standing with the Father. He was God in the flesh. But he, the only way he could say the same works that I do, you will do them. And greater because I go to the Father. How can I do the same works Jesus did if the same one that was in Jesus doing the works is not in me? Well, that's right, Pastor. Jesus is in me. Who is Jesus? God. So God is in us. When he saw him lying, knew he'd been there in a long time. And in that case, he said, will you be made whole? So he's talking to the man. And the man says, I've been here 38 years. And Jesus says, uh, well, would you be made whole? In other words, it's a question. Well, if you could, would you be made whole? Right? And the man, the man answered, sir, I have no man when the water's troubled to put me in the pool. In other words, why do you think I'm here? Because I want to be made whole. Of course I want to be made whole. All right? Of course I do. But while I'm coming, another steps before me, steps down before me. And Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up the bed that he uh, took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So now notice, we see some things here. We're going to go back and look at these verses. We see some things here that Jesus asked this man, will you be made whole? And, and I probably taught it in, my, in, in years past. And, and I would hear people say, you know, this man... Uh, he was he he answered Jesus. I don't have anybody uh, to put me in the water. But Jesus said, "Will you be made whole?" And the man saying, "That's why I'm here. I want to be whole." And what did Jesus say? Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, who was healed in these verses, and what were they healed of? Whoever was healed of whatever. Is that right? Now, we see this man being healed. But whoever was healed of whatever. Now, notice that. Whoever went into the water first was healed of whatever. It's always been God's will to heal whoever was sick. Of whatever they had. Now there's something that I think will even clear this up even more. This pool would have been here before Jesus ministry began. So God wanted these people healed so much. That he had a place where a specific angel would come down and trouble the water. And whoever got in first was healed of whatever they had. Now, but remember, I'm the faithful God that keeps mercy and covenant. The name of the pool was Beth, B-E-T-H, and, and notice it's quick to point out here in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda. Beth, B-E-T-H, Beth means house, 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 uh, Beth-El, house of God, uh, Bethlehem. House of bread, house of nourishment, house of sustenance. All right, Beth. Beth. This one is Beth Ezda. Beth Ezda. The name of this pool was Beth Ezda. Beth meaning house. Ezda meaning mercy. House of mercy. The place where the sick people was laying was called the house of mercy. And Jesus came to the house of mercy to heal the sick. 
Now, people will say, well, Jesus only healed one person here. We have record of him healing this one man right there in that setting. But uh, the Bible says on there that if, if you see this, that they asked Jesus, they asked him who healed you. He said, well, why are you carrying your bed? He said, because the guy that healed me told me to. And they said, uh, where is he? And uh, he didn't know who it was because Jesus had conveyed himself away, uh, a multitude being in that place. But it means from the multitude that was there. So they saw this man healed, and they all started clamoring for Jesus. And he, ha he had to get out of there. Too many people for him to stay. We don't, we, don't know that, we don't know how many people that followed him got healed from that one, from that one setting. Hallelujah. So this man didn't even know that he was laying there in the house of mercy. And Jesus came to the house of mercy to heal the sick. See, God promised mercy to his covenant people in his covenant. The realization of that mercy was Jesus. Look over in John 1, or excuse me, Luke 1. This is something that uh, sometimes people don't pay attention to. And uh, this is uh, the birth of... of John the Baptist after he's born. And uh, his father, Zacharias, you'll remember he couldn't speak. And then once John's born, he can speak. And he starts in verse 67. His father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Well, that's Jesus. And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So he says, this uh, horn of salvation from the house of David that was spoken of by his holy prophets, it was for this reason, so God could perform the mercy that he promised to our fathers and complete the covenant that he made to Abraham. So when Jesus was on the earth, he was the living realization of the mercy of God promised by the covenant. Hallelujah. Notice in Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, verse 16. Notice what it says about Jesus. For he, Jesus, took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. Mm. That means he didn't take hold of angels, but he did take hold of the seed of Abraham. Oh, glory. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brothers. Notice this, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. In things pertaining to God, for what purpose? To make reconciliation to God for the sins of the people. So notice how it describes Jesus, even in his high priestly ministry. Merciful. Merciful. Well, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus, our high priest, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If, he, if he's merciful today, that means he was merciful then. Amen. In, uh, you'll remember in Luke 17, you don't have to go there, uh, 11 through 18, we can paraphrase it. It says that Jesus was coming out, out of the city and that there were 10 lepers and they cried out to him. You remember what they cried out? Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy. Right? Show us goodness. Show us kindness. Show us favor. Take pity on us. Right? And Jesus... 
looked at him and he said, okay, go, go to the high priest, take the offering that Moses prescribed, show the proof of your healing. And it said they went off, and as they went, they were healed. But it says one of them returned. Now, now this is important because we see two things. And it says, and he was a Samaritan. He couldn't go to the high priest. He wasn't a Jew. But the merciful high priest was standing there in his presence. And he came back to his high. See, it's a picture of the covenant. They, they were Jews and had a right to be healed. But this man had no right to be healed by going to the natural high priest. But because Jesus healed everybody on credit until his death, he's going to be that man's high priest. He's, he's not there yet in, in the physical body, but he's going to be that man's high priest based on what he's going to do on the cross. He has a right to heal this man if this man will believe in him because he's going to be his high priest. And Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and he said, weren't there nine cleansed? He said, but where are the other nine? The only one that came to come back to give glory is this stranger. Right? That's what we were, strangers and aliens to the covenants of promise, is what Ephesians says. But notice what, the, what had the man cried out for? Mercy. Mercy. I'm a Samaritan, but show me mercy. I've had people say, well, you know, but will God heal me? Because, you know, I caused this in my body. Mercy. Lord, give me mercy. Give me mercy. That's part of the covenant. Yeah, but this was my mistake. I did Mercy. Just mercy. Come on, folks. I'm helping you more than you know. And when you don't know what else to say, mercy. Lord, give me mercy. Hallelujah. I, I had a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine that had just abused his body before he got saved. And he got saved and God mightily used him in ministry. But what he had done to his body just kept working on him. And, uh, and he was a faith man, and he believed God, and he, he built a great ministry in the southern part of the United States. I mean, even deeper south than we are, down in Alabama. And, and, uh, uh, but I, but I, the more I saw him, I would hear him say, well, you know, just everything I've done to my body. And I could tell he was laboring under this, this, this guilt. And, you know, he eventually went home, and I'm certain, went to heaven. I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing him, but I'm saying... He should have just went to the Lord and asked for mercy. I know I did this. Mercy. Mercy. See, that Samaritan, that's all he could depend on was his mercy. But he encountered the merciful God. Oh, hallelujah. Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Now, this is a very familiar scripture. But it says, seeing then we have... A great high priest, we have him, who's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, our profession, for we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Now, connect infirmities, weaknesses, and, and, and that word, infirmities, it's the word weakness or sickness. And it can refer to moral failures or to sin as well. But here's the point. You connect infirmities, weaknesses, sicknesses, even moral failings. And even with those things... You come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, that's where people usually stop. Yep, we come, we come boldly to the throne of grace. We do come boldly to the throne of grace, but we obtain something. Mercy. Mercy. Why? Because what God is, is eternally that. 
Have you ever done something and you knew that you were doing it and you got under conviction and you went to God and he forgave you of something you knew you were doing? What is that? Mercy. What, what would a non-merciful person do? You made your bed lie in it. But now think, but think about this. When I meet the conditions, God is bound by his word. He must do what his word said. If I turn and repent, if I turn and ask, he must show me mercy. Because he's bound by it. He's bound by it. That's, that's where you come boldly. Because I, I know I serve a merciful God. I know he promised to show mercy to a thousand generations. So yes, Lord, right? I did it, but I'm asking for mercy. Right? Amen. Lord, this sickness in my body, it needs to go. I'm asking for mercy. Mercy, healing is mercy. Healing is mercy. Oh, Lord. Ha, ha, ha. So notice what we receive at the throne. Mercy. Notice what it doesn't say, that you'll receive a long list of questions. Well, didn't you know you were doing that? Didn't you know to watch out for that? Didn't you know not to eat that, drink that? I've had people under guilt because their cigarette smoking caused lung cancer. Well, dear God, we were all stupid at one point. Amen? God, if, if God has a sacrifice for ignorance, He has a sacrifice for stupid. I mean, right? I, listen, I'm, I'm the chief of stupid, okay? I, I've been more stupid than anybody in here. But you know that there are people that kept smoking after they proved that it causes cancer and heart disease and will kill you. There are people that kept right on smoking and then they get saved. They wonder, well, I did this to myself and they just come away with this idea. It's just my cross to bear because after all, I did it to myself. Mercy! Lord, help me. I, I know what I did was wrong. I should have quit. Give me mercy. Give me mercy. Give me mercy. And what will he do? Scripture says you'll obtain it. God's bound to that. What, what, where does the enemy fight you the most? That you don't deserve. That you did something wrong. Right? Your fault. And, and if you know it's your fault, why do you ask for mercy? See, that, that, that's the way people think. No, when you know it's your fault, that's the best time to ask for mercy. That's the best time. Because you have a covenant that he'll show you mercy. And what was mercy to the leper? Healing. What was mercy to the impotent man in the house of mercy? Healing. What's mercy to you? Health and wellness. Glory to God. Look, 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 look at lamentations. Are you getting anything out of this? This, this is the importance of, of you looking at this in the context of your covenant. Malachi, or Malachi, Lamentations 3. <laughs> There's one in Malachi too, but we're going to Lamentations. Lamentations 3, verse 21. I, I got to hurry. I got, I got two more verses after this, two more scriptures. Notice he says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Now, this is not referring to what he said previous. This is referring to what he's going to say. He's about to tell you what he calls to remembrance, and he has hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions, same word, his mercies fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, right there, we see the three things in Deuteronomy 7, 9, we see him right here in these verses. He said, I'm the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the faithful God. Great is your faithfulness. That keeps covenant and mercy unto a thousand generations. 
And Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, says, This I recall to my mind. What? That your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. He says, I cause myself to remember that. And what happens? I have hope. Hallelujah. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what the sickness or the disease may be, if you can just remember God is faithful and merciful, you have hope. Oh, glory. Philippians 2. It'll be done in just a minute. You know, you can't preach just a little snack cracker sermon when you start talking about the bigness of God. You just, this is not a, a trisket. You know, this is, this, we're trying to get the whole loaf into an hour. Praise God. Glory to God. Try to, try to talk about how merciful God is. Uh, so I'm not going to go too far over. Philippians 2, verse 25. Notice this. I supposed it necessary to send unto you if Aphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but, you, but your messenger, and he ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you heard that he had been sick. That word sick is powerless or weak or diseased. It's a, it's a very grave sickness. You heard that he was sick. Verse 27, indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, nearly dead. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Notice, if Aphrodite is sick for whatever reason, most theologians will tell you he was sick because of, he overworked himself. That's, that's the context here. He was working so hard that he was sick. And notice, he nearly died, but God had mercy on him. So, so notice, he's, he's there and he needs mercy. And God gave him mercy. Hallelujah. God had mercy because he's the faithful God who keeps mercy and covenant unto a thousand generations. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I believe God. I believe God. Father, thank you today. Thank you, Father. Lord, we've seen from your word, we've seen, I believe very clearly, very concisely, that it is your will to heal us, you are our healer, and that you keep covenant and mercy to a thousand generations. So, Father, we thank you for your mercy flowing right now, because healing is mercy. And I thank you that it is restoring every broken place, that it's restoring, yes, Lord, every bruised place. It's, it's restoring those areas that were knocked out of alignment in the name of Jesus. Restoring, I'll say it that way, just as if it never happened. Whew, Lord, I receive that. Just as if it never occurred. Oh, glory, because of your mercy, because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, blood, blood, blood platelet counts, restored to normal because of your mercy. Oh, Father, inner ear problems being restored right now because of your mercy. Oh, glory. And just relax and rest 
This is what he said in his repair. And, you know, when you go to bed tonight, you might sense some uh, adjustment going on. And in reality, I just sense this. You're probably going to wake up in the morning sore. Because you will have been adjusted. Uh, but, yes, Lord, even those degenerative places, they say it needs to be fused or replaced. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see all that clear. But I, I see fused or replaced, what, however, with, with something non-natural. But the adjustment can fix that. Oh, glory. Lord, I receive that. And I speak that over your people. And we thank you for the mercy of healing. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I believe God. I believe God. Oh, hallelujah. Well, of course, we'll, uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. We'll, of course, be here for church tomorrow night. And until we see you then, just keep the switch of faith turned on and build your faith. God bless you.